0: What does food sovereignty mean to you? I asked that question on my Facebook feed, and that question motivated Suzanne Sherman to have me on her show, The Red Hot Chili Preppers, to discuss that idea narrowly and broadly. Since Suzanne is also a home cook, we did discuss my cookbook, of course. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 115.
1: Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you.
0: Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Cooking for comfort. One-pot meals you can make is my cookbook. It is available on Amazon, or you can use the Amazon link on my blog post, culinarylibertarian.com slash cooking for comfort, and there you'll also see reader-submitted photos of dishes they've made. There's also a link to purchase a signed and personalized copy for your cook for Christmas. Buy your loved ones a personalized gift for this Christmas from Personalization Mall. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash gifts to shop a huge selection of gifts from stockings to stocking stuffers, ornaments, or wine accessories. Some gifts, such as mugs, can also have a photo added to them. They can even make gifts for the office. Shipping times are going to be unpredictable this year, so order soon to ensure Christmas time delivery. Today's episode is my recent appearance on the Red Hot Chili Preppers podcast. That's chili, as in cold, not the food. Suzanne Sherman is the host, and she's been on this show a couple of times. We talked on her show about food sovereignty, a subject I've become interested in. We also did chat about my cookbook, and since this is Thanksgiving week, this seemed a perfect fit. Well, hello
1: everybody and welcome to the Red Hot Chili Prepper. This is episode 18. Joining Jeff Johnson and myself, I'm Suzanne Sherman, by the way, Dan Reed, also known as the Culinary Libertarian, my wonderful friend, is joining us to talk about food sovereignty. He recently posted on Facebook the following query, what is food sovereignty and what does that mean to you? I immediately rattled his page and said, we need to do a show Just on that. So before we get rolling and bring him on, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash the red hot chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y prepper. Also, if you're interested in our prepare on our uh, political current events uh, perspective, the Wasatch Report. So that's facebook.com forward slash Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report radio show. Polita Prep podcasts. Remember, one is none. Facebook keeps shutting us down, so we have got a bunch of pages. They shut one down, we'll just go to another one. So get uh, hit, get notifications. A lot of people say, "Well, we didn't know you were going on." Hit get notifications. Also, go to those pages and put on there, see first. Because of the algorithms, you will not see us unless you go through some extra steps to do so. We really love when people listen live. We love your commentary your questions. Please feel free to put them in there, and we'll get you on the show. And then for if you're not listening live, Anchor FM has multiple platforms from which you can listen to the show later at your convenience. Please rate the apps, share, tell your friends. Guess what? You can also support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. If you are inclined to share more, please feel free to do so. Speaking of donations, I want to thank my friend Richard for another generous donation. Very, very much appreciated. Also, Anchor, okay, we mentioned Anchor FM. So SuzanneCSherman.com is my website where you can get our blogs. Many of them uh, have to do with preparedness. We're going to refer to some of those today, as well as the published articles from the 10th Amendment Center, the American Conservative, Abbeville Institute. That being said, Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here. I've been I'm married, so I know about this wait and talk part.
1: About the (laughs) very good. (laughs) So let's let's talk first, let's tell people how they can find you, uh, your website, and then we're going to get into the whole food sovereignty issue.
0: Well, the website is culinarylibertarian.com, and that's got everything on it. So the, the, the podcast, all hundred and some odd episodes, the cookbook there, is, uh, you see some fan photos of things that people have made that wasn't me.
1: Oh, we've got, you had an interesting comment too about photos and cookbooks that we'll bring in later. Food sovereignty, food and freedom, two of my favorite topics, all in one fun-filled show. I'm so looking. All right. Food sovereignty. We uh, want to refer my listeners also to the Wasatch Report episode number 19. We had Tyler Wyndham, and he was um, representative, state representative in the house uh, in Wyoming, in the state of Wyoming. And he was uh, one of the advocates of a Getting the beef directly from the ranchers to the customers. As we are aware, another reason. Some people say, I don't like to combine preparedness with politics. Folks, if you don't, you're going to miss some very important reasons why you should be prepared. As we have seen with the government response to the COVID pandemic, scandemic, I beg your pardon. We have seen, uh, let's see, shortages on eggs. When it came time to buy baby pullets for this year, that's redundant, but when it came time to purchase pullets this year, they were gone. They were actually lined up out here two hours early before a feed store opened. I was able to get a few. There was a gal that was selling, she was selling eggs from her ranch. She had an honor box where people would just pick up their carton and leave for their money. She came home one day to find all her layers stolen. So also, what was it, Smithfield, one of the processing facilities was shut down because they said the workers couldn't show up because of COVID. And uh, as Tyler had mentioned, 80%, I believe he said, i we can listen to the show for the, all the facts, uh, 80% of the processing plants for meat in this country is owned by four com- companies. I think a couple at least are owned by China as well. So I find that also disconcerting I also from an ethical standpoint don't like the idea of animals being transported in these trucks and uh you know for great distances so they can be so they can be processed. So getting getting back to our topic at hand what does food sovereignty sovereignty mean to you Dan?
0: Well, when I first looked into this the the idea of food sovereignty it was with the raw milk thing and a guy named David Gumpert wrote a book Food rights and the pursuit of I forgot the name of the book, but the main part of that book was you want to buy raw milk because you want to drink raw milk, but the government says you can't so why is that this why is this the government's business it doesn't make any sense and so the the book goes through a couple of different Amish farmers in Pennsylvania and I think in Wisconsin, a couple of people in California who were into all raw and they travails with the FDA and the USDA shutting them down, arresting them, confiscating all of their stuff, because the rules are, you can't drink raw milk. So I thought, well, okay, this is probably all there is to it. You wanna grow your own food. And by the way, in in the raw milk thing, a judge, now it may have changed, but a judge in Wisconsin, as listed in Gumpert's book, said you don't have the right to drink milk from your cow unless the cow is licensed, which means Give the state tribute for the permission to drink milk from the cow you feed and raise.
1: Your very own cow.
0: Your very own cow. So there's no reason to think that that wouldn't turn into green beans and tomatoes and ears of corn. Absolutely. You're on your property, but you need the blessing of your overlords to eat it. So it goes from that simple thing, which really from an individual person's standpoint, food sovereignty is eat the food you grow. Now, possibly if you're in a neighborhood, you have excess, you go to Sally, who's got eggs or corn and you have tomatoes and you strike a deal. Hey, let's trade this for that. That's fine. Just, that's what should be happening. That's what happened 150 years ago. It turns out food sovereignty is a highly politicized, <laughs> extraordinarily huge thing. We'll, we'll be Joe Biden here and call it an idea and it involves some 180 countries, and just, it's massive. And some of the things they wanna do in the food sovereignty, I hate the phrase movement, is bring dignity back, is one of those weird phrases, to the local farm, but really what that means is bring the viability of the farm back to the local farmer. Uh, And they have examples where, through international trade of importing food, Local farmers in in South Korea and in dozens of other countries are put out of business because they're bringing in food that they grow. Now, that farmer is out of a job. Everyone that farmer employed is out of a job. Uh, in some cases, there's land grants by corporations, multinational corporations. This is something that shouldn't be happening. And notice the thing that's intertwined in all of this is government. Part of what food sovereignty wants to do around the world is... Get the local farmer farming again, and that's where I think the good ends. Some of the food sovereignty folks want to do away with private property, do away with profit. And that's so those are some of the things that I'm tackling in some of the blog posts that I'm writing. So it's a simple question with an immensely complicated answer.
1: You know, this goes back. The funny thing is, as you start talking so much of the stuff you mentioned, the raw milk, the eggs, having community so you can barter and trade and support, you know, if one person has eggs and another person's growing something else, you can, you know, come together and, and pool your resources voluntarily. I'm not talking about <clears throat> arbitrary redistribution. I'm talking about voluntary here. So. But if you go back to the New Deal era, I mean, as you're talking about, you know, growing things on your own property, who else was trying to grow something on his own property? Some wheat for his own cows, never leaving his property. What was that an excuse for? Massive nationalization of the agricultural industry, even at a personal, your own farm level one of the most evil cases ever to be handed down from the black robe messiahs working convicted of Hilburn, correct? Yes. So, and this is the thing, like in in Utah, you are allowed to purchase. This is a form of, eh, we're kind of nullifying, but not really. Uh, you can purchase a share in a cow. Effectively, kind of, sort of nullifying federal prohibition against raw milk sales because it stays within the state of Utah. Now, if the states really had the the testicular fortitude, they're going to say we're going to sell raw milk. You have absolutely no concern with, you know, whatsoever over this, according to the Constitution, as ratified and left. Jeff, you can find milk farms, cows, any of that under Article One, Section Eight. I will uh, drink my raw milk with some with some crow pie. So Not there. It's not there. Yes. So this is, this is the thing. Also going back to that same era, what was done to benefit the children, the enactment of the child labor laws? What was one of the practical effects of that? Got the kids off the farms, off of the family farms. Now most of the farming is done by what corporate agribusiness. Watch a movie called food, Inc. I believe that's on Netflix. So those of you little snowflakes who haven't canceled Netflix yet. (laughs) You can find it on there. There's still some great stuff to be seen on there. But it seems like there's been an attack on the family farm, not only in, I guess, in favor of the corporate interest, because really, who has more access to the ears, or I should say the pockets of the politicians, the local farmer or the corporate shareholder lobbyists of the agribusiness entities? That probably explains what's happening. Also, the attack on the family farm is yet another attack on Western family traditional values. Is that a fair assessment?
0: I think it's a fair assessment. I I have dozens of bookmarks on food sovereignty things, and there's some of them have six planks, some of them have seven planks. And one of the things that they're eager to do away with is industrial farming, and that's an actual valid point. And I spoke to a homesteader by the name of John Moody about that exact thing on an episode where this vast, just like states and states of corn. Nothing else is planted. This is monoculture of corn with an astonishing amount of chemistry put on the soil to grow the to force corn to grow as it normally would not want to. This presents a real problem, it's, it's the destruction of the soil. You're putting off local farmers off of lands, and this, this ADM, Archer Daniel Midland is one of the chief offenders in lots of these things. And undoing all of this, which is probably jumping the gun here a little bit, is a real challenge. And you had mentioned this fellow in the meat. Thomas Massey has the Prime Act, and I think it's still active in Congress, which would do exactly what he's talking about. Un, and he's right. I, and Mike Meharry, and I talked about this, and he's got a couple of articles on 10th Amendment Center about the Wholesome Food Act, the Wholesome Meat Act. Mm-hmm. And 80% or some astonishingly big number of beef goes through four processing plants or four companies. And if one of these plants ends up getting E. coli in the ground beef and it's shipped to 27 different states, um, now you have a problem. This, yeah. is, this is genuinely a really big deal. If you let the guy down the street who has cows butcher the cow and sell you the cow, it doesn't mean you won't get food poisoning. It's to say it will never happen is a silly thing to say. But what you can say is that now we have saved 26 states the possibility of being affected by this farm. It's much easier to track down. You also know the guy. So if it doesn't look like you should buy it, Yay. Hey, sorry, Joe. You know what? That cut doesn't look right, right to me. I want to pass on that. So there's in the meat world, that legislation and that the push to change that is going on. Hey, folks, this holiday season, get fat, get real fat, and for those pie doughs and flaky pastry doughs, get real leaf lard for the best. Flakiest pie crust. Give your family something great to remember in 2020, and that's a superb pie crust. Use my affiliate link, slash get fat, to buy real fat from real pasture raised animals with no GMO diets. In addition to both leaf lard and pure lard, Fatworks has beef tallow for the perfect. Yorkshire pudding for your Christmas prime rib. Type the link culinarylibertarian.com slash getfat into your browser and click store to shop single fats or combo sets. Try the sample pack or give the one-ounce containers as stocking stuffers. Don't take chances with shortenings. Bake better biscuits for brunch with Fatworks leaf lard. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash getfat, or click the banner on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash getfat. Now let's get back to the show.
1: All right, everybody. Dan Reed, the Culinary Libertarian, is joining Jeff Johnson and Suzanne Sherman, me, on the Red Hot Chili Prepper. And we are talking about food sovereignty. We left off with Thomas Massey's sponsored um, the Prime Act. And that was another thing. I think what he was saying also is as long as the meat doesn't cross state lines, that it allows the feds are divvying out some tidbits of freedom to the state. However, and this was something I know, these are steps in the right direction. But if I remember correctly, as we discussed on episode 19 on the Wasatch Report with Tyler Lindholm, these plants are still subject to... um spontaneous USDA inspection. So there really isn't much freedom. Yes, is it better than what we have before? Uh, but something else you also mentioned earlier was we should have the freedom to grow our own tomatoes, which we do for now. But when you mentioned we can drink milk from our cow in whatever state you mentioned so long as it's licensed, well, what about my raised beds? At some point, am I gonna have to get a license or a permit to grow my own vegetables? And if you think this is far-fetched, <clears throat> I encourage anybody to just go online and do a search for the, the American, I beg your pardon, the American Community Survey Bureau put out by the United States Department of the Census. One of the questions they ask is: Do you grow? Your own fruits or vegetables on your property. Do you sell them? What reason would they possibly have? Maybe not now, but in the future for asking such a question. I found that very uh, nefarious. What say you,
0: Dan? Well, the, the reason they want to know is quite plain. They want to tax you for your income. <laughs> you're, you're, you don't have permission of the overlords until you give us a tribute.
1: Yeah, I, I guess. Even, even if you're going to consume your own foods, that's, that's money that you would not spend so, in the grocery store. So perhaps they want to count that as in- income. Go ahead. Well,
0: you mentioned, I think it was Philburn and I don't remember the, the, the wheat thing
2: mm-hmm.
0: was a real deal. So the argument was because he was growing his own wheat and feeding his cows, whatever the wheat or whatever he was doing, he wasn't buying from another state. Therefore, by not purchasing wheat from another state is now is interstate commerce.
1: He was affecting, uh, I remember that class and (laughs) I remember that exact time from law school. He was affecting interstate commerce. What the hell doesn't affect interstate commerce? By by
0: not doing something.
1: By not doing something. And this is exactly what, this was the basis for the individual mandate, by the way, on the Affordable Care Act. So we talked about the egg shortages, also the shortages we experienced earlier this year were yeast and flour. It was impossible to buy active yeast in the grocery store, so I started learning how to make a sourdough starter. Well, you can make it. Guess what? Yeast is everywhere. Wild everywhere. yeast is here. Everywhere. Put down some flour, some water, put it in a jar, and maybe put a coffee filter over that and see what happens. So food sovereignty really means to me, to answer your question, not being subject to the capricious nature of our government overlords which might result directly or indirectly in food shortages or other supply shortages. So this means that you can come together as a community. For instance, you gave the example, if I have eggs, I can trade for somebody that has an apple trade, trade for some apples. How else do we become self-reliant by having food sovereignty? Learning how to preserve your foods, purchasing foods when they're on sale. I wrote an article on SuzanneCSherman.com, a blog, About preparedness on a budget. Somebody asked, how if you only have $250 can you start getting ready? So we talk about that. We talk about preparedness and financing. So coming together as a community, like we said, trade barter, whatever you have. But you know, this is, this is security during hard times. And there was an article that we mentioned earlier about, and I'm not going to get too into it, but it has to do with Athens and how in uh, 430, they experienced their own form of 2020 that when they were attacked by Sparta, the reason they were resilient was they had the equivalent of uh, 9,700, what they call talents of gold. Each one was about 28, I think, 28 kilos, something like that. And let me see what the articles Anyway, it's irrelevant. We'll post that and we'll post that in the link But be that as it may, each citizen had the equivalent in reserves in in Athens reserves of about $25,000. Compare that to what's happening today with working on negotiations for the second stimulus package for the COVID response and the relief that we're getting. And we are printing our way into further and further debt, unprecedented debt, and it's not stopping under Trump. It's simply going to continue and get even worse. This can't continue. So when we do have inflation, possibly hyperinflation, more food shortages, this is a way for your family not to stand in the ridiculous food lines of, say, Venezuela or deal with the other shortages that we saw here. Look at the lines we had at Costco. Look at the lines for toilet paper and other supplies that we just take for granted. Jeff, do you want to weigh in at all? You haven't gotten a word in yet.
2: I just want to say that as a prepping show, and that's what this is, we've talked about one word in particular that is imperative inside this, in this community, because if you're not in a community, you're a lone wolf and you're, you're going to fail. You cannot do everything on your own. You cannot grow all your food on your own. You can't grow all your fruit on your own. You can't do it all. You can't have your own cows and uh, maybe you can, maybe you're Superman and you can do it all, but I can't. So, we need a community. We have to work together. And one thing that government doesn't like is community. And that's what all—that's what all this social distancing is about. Drive people apart. Do away with community. You're looking now. You have to look at your uh, your neighbors as your enemy. Yeah. Where in the past you, you were yeah, in the past you were working together. Yeah. But Not anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was something else. Also, the states, even at the state level, they can't seem to help themselves. In Utah, you have to buy shares in a cow if you want to buy raw milk even what Tyler said, look, people can buy shares in not only maybe one cow, but maybe the whole thing. I said, hey, Tyler, here's something crazy. How about farmers or the ranchers just sell the damn cow to whomever they want without having the whole paperwork issue of buying shares in the cattle? They just kind of trade because of it. Kind of like if you wanted to buy some tomatoes off me, you don't have to buy shares in my raised beds. I don't have to have a license or a permit to have my raised beds in Florida. I think the state legislature actually had to come up with a law to prohibit the municipalities from outlawing via uh, zoning ordinances, vegetable gardens in their front yards. Of course, they don't want this. Why they don't is beyond me. I think they were talking about, well, we have an interest, the government interest in uniformity of the landscapes in these communities. Gee, I thought government was all about promoting diversity. So, you know, they're kind of tripping over well, over their own agendas. Go ahead.
0: The, one of the main issues in the place where this case was sort of fought was an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. People wanted pretty green lawns. And so, you know, if you drive through and see pretty green lawns, I think everyone can agree that a pretty green lawn is an attractive thing to look at versus something else. So if you have flowers and things that are pretty and that draw butterflies and bees and birds, well, that's hard to complain about. When you have corn and beets and things that aren't pretty, but very, very functional, well, now that's a different, that's part of the problem was that it didn't look nice and violated the visual for everybody else in the neighborhood and then, my, my property values. My property, just,
1: I was say my property values. Yes.
0: Yeah. Even though you re- don't realize that what you have there is a self-sufficient neighbor who can probably help you out, but you're more concerned about your, your inflated house price to begin with because, you know, the currency and then that, that's another issue. But so, yeah, the state legislature did say, yeah, you know what? This is dumb. Want to grow a garden? Grow a garden.
1: Well, imagine, imagine how resilient a community could be. If there was a time, gee, I don't know, imagine if we ever had times of social unrest. Boy, that's kind of going out on a limb, isn't there? And maybe, uh, maybe it's not quite safe to go to your local store, but you've got a community, you're out a little bit out of the ways and everybody has what they need if they combine their resources. Somebody has some backyard hens, Somebody has some zucchini, somebody knows how to make bread. You can branch out, somebody is a carpenter, somebody is a plumber or an electrician. In times of a natural disaster, we've talked about this before during Hurricane Katrina. Jeff, our old producer uh, from our old network, they went through weeks, I think three or four weeks without any power after Hurricane Katrina. But I think we've covered all this. And one of the things I wanna talk about, we're actually gonna do a whole show on this, is if you have the building blocks, of making your own food. In addition, you know, the other ways to store your food, freeze-dry canning, hot water bath, pressure canning. We've talked about that in your freezer. Freeze-dried foods, either you do it yourself. You know, all of these ways. Have the building blocks also to make other things to add to these recipes, such as your own sauces, your own salad dressings. Jeff, we're going to do a show on the well stocked Pantry. Dan, you're welcome to join us for that if you like.
0: Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his podcast, Tasting Anarchy.
2: Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or tastinganarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your book. We have your website here, The Culinary. Now, you also have a podcast, The Culinary Mm -hmm. Libertarian, Cooking for Comfort, one-pot meals you can make. And the website is, for those that are listening, culinarylibertarian.com. And from there, you can access recipes, resources, the podcast, library, Oh, spices. This is some good stuff here. I love this website, too. So like I said, Food and freedom. You even have some gifts here. So, speaking of gifts, we do have the holiday, whatever you like to celebrate, coming up soon. Uh, this would be a fantastic gift for your loved one. In fact, I'm going to buy this for myself. So, uh, let's t- let's talk about your book a little bit. And you, I also want to talk about pictures. You mentioned something really good, and then we also talked about by diversity in food. We're going to wrap this up in about ten minutes. All
0: right. So, in no particular order, pictures in books, and I'm, and I know that you mentioned you wanted to talk about that, and Actually, the whole idea was, was, was sort of came from a comment I heard Alton Brown make in a 2018 speech about how Instagram has ruined food or cooking because it's, it's kind of now food porn. So instead of taking a picture of something you've made, you've got food stylists and artists doing all kinds of things and it looks great. And then you go and make it. And your dish doesn't look anything like it. So the the, the picture sets, in my opinion, sets a, an, a, an expectation that the dish has to look like this. If I don't reach what took these people an hour to produce just for a picture, then I failed in my job as cooking this dish. And that's a terrible thing to do to a cook. So I don't put – there's no pictures in the book. And if you think back to your Betty Crocker book, Your, um, your Fannie Farmer Boston cookbook, no pictures.
1: Yeah. I have some of my cookbooks. So they don't have any of them. They don't don't have
0: the, the you make the food. And so when, when this says, you know, that's, I, I want, I want the cook to make the food her own way, his own way. So that, that dish is yours. I've given you a list of ingredients and anybody can make a list of ingredients. What I think the real difference is, is the procedure explaining You know, do this and then do this and then do this. And most procedures you'll read will say, cook this on high for two minutes. How high is high? How long, two minutes really? What if it burns before two minutes is up? Do I have to wait two minutes? Instead of doing that, I want, one of the things I want to do as a culinary teacher is through the words, teach you how to learn to tell when things are are ready for the next step. And you use your nose and your ears. So if you put the garlic in the pan, and now you smell toasty garlic, now it gotta go. Something has to happen. Add the tomatoes. Add the mushrooms. Add the stock. Add something to the pan to take the heat out to stop the garlic from cooking more.
1: Yes, you do not want to overcook your garlic, boys and
0: girls. No, that's that's not good. You've now you've made trash, and there's no recovery from that. So yeah. learning how to develop the skills of cooking by using your senses, not the clock, because the food doesn't know what time it is. It doesn't care what time it is. Doesn't know how hot, hot is. It just knows that when you, when it's burning, it makes a smell. So do something before that thing happens. So that's really the, the basics is, and by the way, it's cooking for comfort means mostly soups and stews because that's one, it's cold out and it's very comforting. to eat a nice, hearty bowl of chili or beef soup. You know, it's if there. I
1: can interject something too, yes, please. that is one of my main ways of storing my wild game, because if you have a power outage or you don't know if your freezer's failed, like I know that somebody had a freezer full of king salmon after an Alaska trip. Yeah, that happened. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if that happens, your food, I, I, I like to grind mine up and then I, I season it with salt and pepper and, and fry up some onions and then I pressure can it like that. And I can use it for any recipe. Then I will add different seasonings after the fact, depending on what I use. But this gives me the most freedom to use as I so, as I so desire. But my primary use for that, again, after processing all this, I primarily hunt in the fall and the winter is soups, stews, chilies, and they're ready to go. And you have a lot of diversity. You mentioned Instagram. I think the tech industry and the combination with these restaurants are doing enormous harm to people's ability to have food sovereignty. The DoorDash, people are just expecting food to be brought Mm -hmm. to them. Even if you're going to go out on a limb and cook these meals yourself, guess what? There are some services out there that will sell you all the ingredients that you need, and then you just follow the directions and chop them up. The problem is people aren't learning what you're talking about in this book, are they? It tells you exactly step-by-step how to do this.
0: I know the the kind of meal in a box thing you're talking about. I've never seen their recipe cards, so I don't know how they read, but probably they're not designed to teach you right. to not, not use enough. the service. They're not <laughs> designed enough. to make you dependent on the service. And so from a business standpoint, that makes good sense. I understand that. You mm-hmm. you don't start a business to teach people to not use your product. Not to use your product. So I don't begrudge them that, but there is the problem of, well, it's one of those things that I think has happened in gradual steps. And we don't see until now we're here that there's an entire generation of people, maybe two generations who don't know how to cook.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. basic
0: stuff. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking, making beef, tenderloin, Wellington. So you we have to make the puff pastry, make the crepes, make the duxelle maybe grow your mushrooms. That's a bit much even for me, but What's the procedure for getting flavor into the soup? No one knows that, or colloquially no one knows that obviously people know that, but not enough people they don't have they don't have basic cooking skills they can't make yeah, a I
1: got an, I got a suggestion <clears throat> <clears throat> on my, it was computer or phone whatever it was or I think on the TV yeah they have these suggestions now for your smart remote or whatever it says ask Alexa how to hard boil an egg I thought you you're kidding me but that is harder than it seems. In fact, on one of Gordon Ramsay's Master Chefs shows, one of their competitions was to hard boil an egg or soft boil an egg perfectly. We could talk about this forever, but we talked about a uh, timing of cooking and cooking and then Jeff's about to have lunch. So let's wrap this up, Dan. How can people get your book? How can they listen to your show and follow you?
0: Well, you can subscribe to the Culinary Libertarian podcast on iTunes, and you can get the book either directly from Amazon or go to my link, culinarylibertarian.com slash cooking for comfort. Uh, there's a link to order it there. You can also download the introduction to get a flavor, see what I did there, of how I write, and it, it sort of explains to you what I've just said about how to use the book depending on your senses of hearing and smell and sight when to do the next thing, because I want you to learn the skills for cooking. So once you've made these things, then you have a little bit of confidence. Now it's time to try something that is in the book, something a little bit more challenging. Now that you have skills, I want you to get better, not just follow the book. That's I think a lot of recipes don't don't do that. Uh, and then the podcast is also on the dot libertarian.com slash podcasts. And that is the archive of all of the shows so far.
1: And we're going to do a follow up show. I'm, I'm uh, actually going to commit you to it right now, Dan, on the well stock pantry and tie that in with your book and how to cook and use those. Final thoughts just before we, uh, I bring us on out of here.
2: Yeah. I just want to say that the link to the book is at the top of this chat here. So if you do come back and you're watching this after the fact, and just go to the comments uh, underneath. And just about the first one, second one is the link to Dan's book. And that's about it. I, I didn't say much today because, you know, I do cook, but I, I'm not, like, uh, you know, a chef or anything. Uh, I muddle my way through uh, most of my meals. So
1: Well, we really want to get people. I, I love getting people cooking. And uh, I, I think I want to do a little bit more focus on that. There was a commercial that comes to mind. It was for a frozen food product. And they had a girl in the, uh, I guess, the kitchen of a of a company, a workplace, and she had this beautiful meal on a plate, and everybody gathered around her, thinking, "Oh, wow! Did she cook that by herself? Like it was just such an uncommon act to actually prepare your own meal." But the yeah. answer was, of course, not. It was frozen, but it just looked like she did. So, yeah. uh, you
2: know, I do, I do have one other thing to add. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we talked about it early in the show. Please support your local mom and pop stores. Yes. I'm going, stop going to those big corporate grocery stores and all this stuff. We have a little mom and pop country store down the road. They cut their own steaks. They grind their own nice. burger. They do everything there. Support those people. I may pay 30 cents more a pound. Do I care? No, I'm getting much better meat. Uh, and it's low. I mean. Just go support your local mom and pop. Stop going to these big corporate chains. Stop going to you know, I won't say the one I won't say. You know who they are. The big box stores and all that other stuff. Stop I going. Do not That's buy my meat at Walmart. Meat. I will What's say it. Do
1: not buy your meat at no. Walmart. Do not buy it from Safeway. Do not buy it from any of these places where these animals are shipped ridiculous lengths. I hate to see it. I live out in the mountains here. There are a lot of animals being raised. And I see them in those carrier trucks in 20-degree weather going down the freeway. Imagine what it must be like to be one of those animals. How many of them have frostbite, the suffering that they go through? That's actually one of the reasons I hunt. You know, I'll see an elk and it had a a wonderful free life and then all of a sudden lights out. It didn't go through any of that. So ethically, I have a really hard time buying meat that I know the animal has gone through, the feedlots and all and and that sort of thing. Know your cows personally. <clears throat> no, I can't do that. When I got my chickens, I said, when they stop laying, they're going in the pot. Well, Patins never went in the pot. Neither did Cleopatra. Neither did. No. Neither did Suzanne
2: Dodi. cannot know <laughs> the food. Otherwise, they'll be uh, they'll be sitting on their her lap out on the porch. And she'll be petting. Um, they're they're pets. They're not for food.
1: I've got one that's older right now, and she's not really eating. So I went out and bought her mealworms and sunflower seed chips and little um, uh, these little peanut flavored bird things. And I've been feeding her that by hand. Yesterday I went to go close the coop. I almost stepped on her outside my front door. She was waiting for more food. So
0: oh I, man!
1: I gave her that food. I know she's gonna die soon. She's really skinny, and you know she's just old. But I'm just trying to. Help her along the way. And then I thought maybe I'm gonna raise pigs. So I went to the county fair and I went to the little pig pens. I start petting when I go, oh my God, they're smiling. Okay, so no pigs for me either. (laughs) I do eat bacon, but I just can't see them. But I try to buy from places that are, you know, locally sourced and support your local farmers. We have the Summit County Mercantile here in Colville, uh, out by the city in in Towilla. There is Tooele Valley Meats. They're out in Grantsville. All local. They will butcher it themselves. They will put. They will butcher the animal. They will uh, kill the animal and do it all right there, all locally. So know your cow's owners personally. Yes, that that that's is better. the solution. <clears throat> yes, I will admit I am in complete denial. Once I get to know an animal, that's it. I can't kill it anyway. We are out of time, everybody. Dan, <laughs> read the culinary libertarian. Jeff Johnson. I'm Suzanne Sherman, also known as the Red Hot Chili Prepper. We'll see you soon. Thanks.
0: Alright folks, that's gonna do it. Since this is Thanksgiving week, it is time to get prepping for both Thanksgiving and Christmas, as well as those holiday parties. Visit com slash holiday for some recipes I've published for your holiday sanity. Also, One good thing from 2020, yeah, is an extended Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales period. Use my link, culinarylibertarian.com slash BFCM, for deals from my selected affiliates. Now, not everybody has deals early, but they will have deals on Friday for sure. Food for your brain, such as Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom and Brian McClanahan's McClanahan Academy, to Food for You from California Wine Club and Bruner Brothers Cheese and D'Artagnan for truffles and foie gras. You'll also find some Amazon deals on Kindle readers or digital gift cards or kitchen gadgets for your cook. Please share this episode around on your social media feeds. In addition to good information, the show notes page will also have last year's Thanksgiving episode. That's the one where I mentioned the first Thanksgiving. Both of them. Have a great week. Rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. And I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.